Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Babe Ruth. I pretty much told people don't tell me like where I'm at until the end. And then we go out of this aid station and Kevin goes, you just jumped four spots in the aid station to the top 20. And so we're like, well, we gotta, we gotta hold that. So we took off running. And then I think the other runners noticed that we took off. And so three runners came out um, chasing us from the aid station. And they, they chased us all the way up uh, Mount Eldon, which is a 9,000 foot mountain that overlooks Flagstaff. And so it was pretty cool. It's like nighttime, uh, Kevin's looking at the tracker and he can see that they're there. And so you feel this pressure, like it's, you know, 230 miles into a race and you're running and you're going up this mountain as fast as you can. And you look down and you see their headlamps. Um, so we, we get to the, we get to the aid station at the top. And, um, since they had wave starts, for some reason, they put me in the last wave, which I never really figured out, but I figured that way everything was ahead of me on the course. So I knew I, I had more time on, on the other runners. And so, um, uh, one of them caught up to us at the aid station, uh, but I knew we had about 20 minutes on them. And so we took off before they did. Um, and we were able to, to get down the mountain, even though my feet hurt so bad, they'd swollen up um, that I was, I was like, hey, Kevin, I'm gonna just take out my pocket knife and cut the toes of my shoes off. And he's like, no, don't, don't do that. That sounds like a really bad idea. We're, we're like, we're like four miles out into this too late. And Gabe's like, he's so sleep deprived. He's like, I'm just going to take my pocket knife out and cut these shoes up. I'm like, no, we're not going to sit and cut your shoes out. Like just whatever you're dealing with, deal with it for another hour. I'm Doc. 
and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. And this is the beginning of season three of the podcast, episode 101. Before we get to our guest this week, let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. And you know, I put that at the beginning of each episode. I changed that up from season one, put it at the beginning of the episode so that people would, would hear that message loud and clear and would take advantage of it and leave us a review. I have all kinds of interactions on social media. Um, we're you know, very complimentary. And I just want to tell them, you know, that's great that you're complimenting me on, on social media, but go ahead and leave that review. That would even, that'd be even better. So if you can hit the pause button right now, go leave a review if you like the pod. And like I said, if you don't, well, just you know, keep that to yourself. All right. I am very excited to welcome back some previous guests to the podcast. I was so impressed with them and had so much fun interviewing them last time. I just had to have them back to start off this season. Welcome back to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Gabe Peterson and Kevin Goldberg. How you, how you doing, guys? Good. Yeah, I, I'm stoked to be back. Been a regular listener since we were on about a year ago. Yeah, okay. same here. Uh, listened, uh, especially even after we were on. Now I listen during all my training and adventures. So good to be back. Fantastic. Let's remind the listeners about your last appearance on the podcast. Last time you guys were on, we talked about your attempt to trail run the JMT, which you ended up completing in less than six days. I think I had in the notes seven days, but uh, I think Gabe correctly pointed out it was actually less than six days, seven days, you know, with your wife giving you a week to do the trail, you know, seven days, that just kind of worked out in my mind that that was the, uh, that was the time period, but you did, you guys ended up doing it in less than six days. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing adventure. Um, now in retrospect, um, you know, some of the adventures we're going to talk about today, it was still harder than any of those. I wish someone would have told us how hard that would be to do the JMT in six days. I don't think we quite realized it until we were done. Um, I think we maybe had some notion that we would, we would do some running, but it turned out to be about 98% hiking. <laughs> hiking some long hours. Yeah, yeah, what time did we usually get up, Kevin? It varied, but yeah, there were some. There were some. Uh, there was one one a.m. wake up, a couple of two a.m. wake ups. It was you know eighteen to twenty hour days of hiking, and uh, yeah, we actually just had the the one year anniversary. Uh, got some memory reminders of that uh, just earlier this week. So pretty cool. Very nice. I just came off the southern half of the JMT from last week. Did one hundred and twenty five miles. Went from um, basically Mitchell Ranch to Mount Whitney. And that took us all of about eight days. And so you guys doing twice that in less than six is still so impressive. And I was actually wondering as, as I was hiking this, uh, you know, portions of the trail, how in the world anybody could, could, you know, run this. And uh, it's just impossible terrain. It was uh, definitely a, a stout challenge. I, uh, afterwards, I, I came up with a joke that I, I set the fastest known old dude time 
Uh, I haven't found anyone, uh, any dude over 40 who's done it faster than me. It probably exists, but it shows you kind of how, how uncommon that is. And we don't think we went into it with that appreciation. Well, when you find the answer you're looking for or don't find the answer you're looking for, <laughs> stop. You know, you, as far as you know, you are the fastest old dude out there. That's right. I'm going to just, I'm going to keep that title. I've given it to myself. No one can take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to get you a shirt with that printed on it. <laughs> That and four bucks will get you a coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> All right. You know, we usually go by trail names here on the uh, podcast. Are you guys still Grinder and Crusher or have you picked up uh, additional trail names out there? Yeah, I think we're still Grinder and Crusher, at least for now and until uh, next time, at least. Okay. Any more big hiking trails since the last time we talked? Strictly hiking? Um, I did a variation of the big Secchi loop, which includes about 60 or so miles of the John Muir trail, um, in earlier in July, um, which was pretty awesome. It was good to get back out there and, uh, you know, kind of just like we were just talking about it, even going back out there and putting in not, you know, a fraction of the miles that we did on the JMT, uh, it, it, my mind was blown again, that we were able to accomplish that. It, it was just, it was that hard. Nice. Nice. Beautiful. All right. Hey, I was wondering as I was getting ready for this, this episode that, you know, you took your, your ultra marathon, your trail running background and experience and tried to apply it to the John Muir trail. I was wondering if there are other daily life activities that you can apply ultra marathoning to like, I mean, do you guys do a version of, uh, uh, fast packing when you guys go holiday shopping or, you know, grocery shopping, Maybe mowing the lawn. What, I mean, what other what what other activities in your life can you apply your your special skill set to? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I approach eating as an endurance event pretty much around <laughs> the clock, twenty four seven. So um, it seems, regardless of what I'm training for, I, I eat like an ultra marathoner. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what else we could apply it to. I got to start like, you know, just going all out for other things. <laughs> And maybe we could, uh, we could compile a list of activities. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's pretty good training for, for life because it usually involves a lot of planning. I'm kind of, kind of obsessive about, uh, about planning all these events, uh, which is, which turns out that, you know, you can have, you earn a pretty good living doing that. <laughs> and so that planning and execution, um, I think a lot of the, the farther you go, the more it becomes more about planning and execution um, and mental toughness versus, you know, who's the fastest runner. Right. Yep. And you guys, you guys have been on before, so you know all about a regular segment that we do called the pro tip inside of the week. I'll turn to you at the end of the episode. I'll turn to each of you at the end of the episode and ask you for your pro tip insight, uh, something, something, little piece of uh, wisdom that you can share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Got it. Okay. And um, did we do the must bring gear review last time you guys were on? I don't think you were doing that back okay. then. Yeah. No. Okay. So we, we have a sponsor, Outdoor Vitals, great ultralight backpacking gear company. And uh, we do a must bring gear review sponsored by them. And, and here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag uh, with pretty much generic gear, I usually go with multi-day hikes, but you guys... You know, if you're if you're not doing the if you're not fast packing the John Muir Trail, then then you're out there doing ultra endurance activities. So if, if you were to let a stranger pack your bag uh, in preparation for one of your long distance ultra marathons, 
Uh, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So uh, let, let's start off with uh, Crusher. What, uh, what's your must bring piece of gear? Yeah, no, I kind of, I kind of like it turned on the head of, uh, you know, it being for an ultra marathon that changes, that changes what I had in mind. Um, but, um, Gabe and I actually chatted about this a little earlier, so I'm going to, I'm going to take one and, and you can do the other Gabe, um, you know, from, from personal experience and, and, and from other, um, stories I've heard, I, it's just, it's so easy to carry one of those, uh, you know, personal, uh, GPS satellite messenger devices, like an inReach mini, um, you know, spot makes some to Zoleo. Um, I just don't think anyone should be going to the backcountry without one of those, um, regardless of whether they're hiking, backpacking, fast packing, um, or, or doing an ultra marathon. Um, they're just, you know, great for keeping in touch with friends and family, keeping tabs on, you know, your, uh, your heading and where you're going maps and stuff like that. And then of course, having that SOS button, just in case, uh, you know, uh, things really take a turn is just, it's just key. I think, uh, it should be mandatory gear for any ultra marathon out there. Yeah. Safety first, anything can go wrong at any moment. Um, I know coming down from Whitney portal, there's a section of the Whitney portal trail, uh, from, um, base camp just below the 99 switchbacks all the way back to maybe mirror Lake where there's maybe one flat, um, place to put your foot for every hundred steps in that section of the trail, you've got to watch every single foot placement. I about broke my ankle five times and uh, all it takes is just one misstep, one accident. And if you don't have some way to communicate with the outside world, then you are in a, a world of hurt. So yeah, good point. How about you grinder? Uh, yeah, for sure. That one that's going out also add to that one, just like when we were on JMT, being able to stay in touch with your family. So you're not worrying about what's going on with the kids. Um, that, that was, that was great. Uh, yeah, kind of along the theme of for ultra runners, um, I know a lot of ultra runners who go take the ultralight thing into <laughs> there's the, there's ultralight and then there's ultra stupid and they'll, they'll go out on these mountain adventures with no survival gear, no backup light. Um, and you, there's the story in China of 20 something ultra runners dying, um, where they went to high altitude. I, I don't understand how you do that without having some basic survival gear. So if there's any chance that I'll be stuck out there overnight, you know, in the desert or mountains, I always bring like a little emergency bivy. It's like, it's a little larger than a, a, a pack of playing cards. But if you say you fall down, you break your leg and you, you hit your, the button on your inReach and you have to wait a couple hours for rescue and you're laying there in the cold, you're going to get hypothermic, you know, climbing an emergency bivy, have an emergency light. You can carry, you know, the, there's like the, the, Petzl e-light um like size of a box of matches that will get you through the night um and you know I had a had a friend who he went out for uh what was supposed to be a four or five hour run out in the mountains um and he fell down and when he got up he couldn't remember which way he was going and um so he got disoriented he couldn't find his way and by the time he found his way it was getting dark but he hadn't he hadn't brought a light or any survival gear um, and hit the battery on his phone died. So the last message he, he texts to his wife is, Hey, I'm stuck in the woods. <laughs> and then his phone dies. Um, and he's on this kind of this, uh, ultra chat that I'm on. And so his wife actually gets on the chat and says, Hey, is there any way we can find him based off of his GPS watch? And we said, uh, no. 
so I look quickly look at the weather forecast and he got lucky that it was going to be like 65 overnight. So he, uh, he just has to find a place to hunker down until sunrise. So that's what he did. And at sunrise, he walked out. Um, but if the weather had been bad, that could have been a, a very different story. So you always be prepared that you could unexpectedly spend the night out there with some basics, like a emergency bivy, a backup light, you know, maybe a little, get, get those little lipstick chargers to recharge your phone or whatever device you're using for navigation. Yeah. Wandering around disoriented, not, not knowing which way you came from. That's, I call that a, a, a any morning ending in Y. So that's, a, <laughs> I like your tips though. Uh, it's both, both very safety oriented, safety first. And, you know, I, I, there's been a, a transformation uh, in the way that you can use the in reach. I remember in 2015, my first JMT trip, if I wanted, if I wanted to send a message to, to family back home, I'd have to go through and it was like old time cell phone where you had to go through the letters you know, you know, you hit number seven to get through S T U, you know, whatever it is. And it took forever. Now there's an app that is on your phone, on your cell phone that you can use your cell phone to, you know, just type like a regular text message and it, it is uh, connected via Bluetooth to the inReach. So they've made some advancements in that. Oh yeah. That was great. I remember being on several mountain passes during JMT and I would just send my wife a message like, Hey, I'm on this amazing mountain pass and thinking of you and the, the girls. And it, it's not instant message, but, you know, it would go in like five or 10 minutes and then she'd respond. Um, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, there is that little that little delay as it's uh, going up to space <laughs> and, and communicating with the satellites. So it's like talking to somebody who's maybe on. Uh, what is the delay on the moon when, they, when they, they talk to the astronauts up there? Is it like a uh, 14 minute delay, a 10 minute delay? I don't know. Uh, the moon is three seconds. Oh, three seconds. OK, so, uh, so this is talking to somebody on Mars, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. All right. So let's talk about what you guys have been up to since the last time you've, you've been on the podcast. Grinder, you said you've, you've listened to, actually, you both said you've been listening to the podcast. You guys have any favorite episodes that, uh, that we've had here? Man, I'd have to go. I definitely do, but I can't remember. I'd have to go look at the, uh, whoop, I'm playing it. Uh, look at the um, titles of them. But I have listened to most of the episodes since, I guess, probably this time last year. A lot of interesting people out there. Yeah, for sure. A lot of good stories. Yeah, it's been really cool to see kind of the evolution of your your podcast. I remember listening to it to get it ready for JMT, and it was it was mostly like section hikers, occasional through hikers, and you've got gotten a really interesting blend of like adventure athletes, ultra runners, um, triple crowners. That's been really cool because I'm really fascinated by that. So I'd say yeah, some of my favorite have been when you've had uh guests on the, the podcast um like like ginger balls which is just fun to say um <laughs> uh, and they've told their story about doing the triple crown it's you know it's something i don't know they'll ever have the time to do but like hearing their stories it's really cool yeah it has really kind of evolved into a human interest type uh podcast with you know i, I realized that adventure has many the adventure tree has many many branches and there's many different types of adventures out there. And so I love talking about the John Muir Trail, as you know, uh, very familiar with that. But I also love talking to the, the long trailers and adventure athletes, as you mentioned, and you know, polar explorers, all kinds of folks out there that have some great stories. Did you listen to the Lael Wilcox uh, episode? She was the bike rider, the, the, uh, the long distance um, bike racer. Oh, I think I missed that one. Oh, you guys have to go back and listen. Now. 
you have to go back and listen to that one because she has quite a story. I mean, she okay. she joined the long distance bike racing community uh, late in life, and then she decided to enter the transcontinental America, the Trans America race, where it goes from I think uh, Oregon to Virginia, and mm-hmm. she ends up winning the whole thing, uh, regardless of of gender. I mean, she she beat some guy from she caught some guy from Germany in the last 100, 125 miles. And left him in the dust and, and won the whole thing yeah. outright. It sounded it sounded like a movie. I mean, I, I told her, I said, you know, who would play you in the movie? I'd pay money to see this movie. So <laughs> that go back and <laughs> yeah, take a listen. I'll definitely look that one up. Okay. So I know that in preparing for for uh, for this podcast and our, our little back and forth about our discussion points, you guys have been you guys have been very busy since the last time we talked. Who who wants to go first? Who did the uh, the rim to rim to rim? Uh, we actually did that together. Oh, perfect. But I uh, mean, Kevin, do you want to take this one? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, this was this mid to late October, right? Um, we actually, so Gabe got together a group of, what were there, like about 10 of us um, yeah, about that. to do rim to rim to rim in October, which was really cool because we, we kind of all did it at our own pace, but, you know, we all had dinner the night before and, and kind of most of us were meeting for the first time or, or not super close, at least from my perspective. Um, and it was just really cool to like see people out there at different stages of rim to rim to rim. So for those who might not be familiar, rim to rim to rim is, uh, kind of what it sounds like you run from the South or one rim of the grand Canyon to the other side of the grand Canyon. So you descend into the depths of the grand Canyon, traverse to the other side, climb back out to the top and then turn around and do it again. Um, it's about 50 miles with 10,000 feet of elevation gain, give or take. So um, it's a long day. Uh, usually it's pretty hot. And uh, it was really cool to have a group of us out there doing it all together and, and cheering each other on as we were doing it. So yeah, it was an awesome day and a crazy adventure. It was my first time to the Grand Canyon. And um, just talk about the scope of it. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Your first trip, what did you think when you saw it? Um, I thought, man, we're going over to the other side and back because <laughs> I'm standing on the South rim and you can see the North rim and you can see it just, it looks, it looks like that would be an impossible feat. Um, but you know, you take one step and then another and repeat and eventually you, uh, you get back. They all add up. How long did it take you to do those 50 miles? Uh, it took us like 13 hours. It took the whole group anywhere from like, I think 11 hours to 18 hours, something like that. And what kind of what kind of temperatures were you guys dealing with? Oh, it was in October, so it must have been a little bit cooler. It was yeah, somewhat cool in the morning. Um, not not crazy cold by any means, and it warmed up quick. Kind of as soon as you drop below the rim, the canyon like holds that warm air. Um, and I think it got down to triple digits uh, on the canyon floor down by Phantom Ranch. Those thermometers down there are so hard to trust because um, they're baking in the sun all day. But we definitely have a picture of a thermometer with like 120 degrees on it. Um, and it, I mean, it felt it. It was hot. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, that was my second time doing it. And it was a lot, lot hotter. I mean, as soon as we dropped about a mile down to the rim, we're all wearing like long sleeve shirts and we immediately stopped and took those off. And I remember getting down towards the bottom and, uh, I was running with, uh, another guy, Peter, and I just looked at his back and it's soaked in sweat and it's, it's about maybe four or five in the morning. It's still dark. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a long day. 
it, it was it was it got it got really hot uh, but it was uh the lemonade at phantom ranch that was the lifesaver <laughs> they put something special in that lemonade i don't know it's like the best lemonade in the world <laughs> <laughs> i had like three glasses of it when i got there it was probably like two or three in the afternoon it was easily over 100 degrees fahrenheit and uh, i was feeling pretty rough and you buy a cup and it's like unlimited refill so i just stood by the window I drink it. I'm like, please refill this. I drink it and please refill this. <laughs> You're going to lose their money on, on grinder. <laughs> now, was this a, was this a race or was this just kind of a, an, an event organized or an outing and organized by you guys? Yeah, it was just sort of a get together, like mm-hmm. a group of friends uh, that, that, uh, that I know we have like a kind of an ultra run and related chat that we affectionately call the dark webs <laughs> of ultra running. And uh, I, after Last year, I wanted to do one more thing. And I said, hey, anyone want to do rim to rim to rim? And usually it's like, you know, it's like when I want to do JMT, Kevin goes, hey, I'll, I'll do it with you. Usually there's like one one guy who will, who will volunteer. But uh, last year, all the races were canceled. So everyone was kind of raring to go to go out and do something. And so I, we ended up having about 10 people from all different backgrounds. You know, some, pe- some people, some ultra runners, but some that were more like triathletes and they had never run an ultra before. And so they had to train for an ultra. Um, it was pretty cool. We had a, a diverse group and kind of made it, it all made it almost like kind of a social event, you know, the people got together in their groups and they stayed together, you know, based on their speed. And it was just, it was, it was a fun time. Right. And part, part of the dark webs is that uh, Michael Wardian, Jamil Corey, or uh, <laughs> Jeff Garmire? uh no they're they're not in that those dark dark webs but they might they might have their own um <laughs> just it's just like a chat group from uh some athletes i know uh, we just talk about running and and random things <laughs> right i had each of those three guys on on separate episodes uh last season they were uh, a lot of fun to talk to i know that they are ultra marathon almost like yeah. legends but i don't know if garmeyer is or not garmeyer did the the, the calendar calendar think, triple yeah. crown but i know that he has yeah. been involved in some some ultra marathoning as well so yeah definitely listen to uh, those three yeah those are good when i get to cocodona uh, jameel and um and jeff garmeyer were both both there I'm right like, I, don't, I don't think i saw him the whole race yeah and we have to work in a, some kind of way to talk about the barkley marathons once again uh both wardian and uh garmeyer I don't think Jamil Corey was Jamil Corey in the, uh, yeah, yep, the, the was. yeah, all three yeah. of them did that, did the Barclays. That, that was, uh, any, any experience with the Barclays since the last time we talked? Not, uh, not I applied me. one more time. <laughs> so and, yeah, I, I, that was my second time applying. Um, and I'll, I'll apply again this year. So okay. for, you know, next year, 2022, it's going to be my year. Fingers crossed. And I know that people are very secretive about the application process. I think I tried to pin down um, Jeff Garmeyer, legend, on the application <laughs> process. And he was he was not, he, he was very reticent to, to give anything yeah, up. It's, so. a, it's a secret, you know, <laughs> punishable by death. Well, actually, more probably punishable by not getting into the race if you really. <laughs> Which could be a you know, good thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess as, that's that's the opposite of a death sentence. <laughs> as as Gingerball said, that's that's like type participating in the Barclays is like type four fun. <laughs> What's type four? I've heard the other three. What's type? Type four is you're embarrassed to even mention that you considered doing something like that. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. I've heard that one. <laughs> 
All right. How about, uh, let's see, I have the, the Black Canyon 100K, so 60 miles. And wh where is Black Canyon? Uh, that's, in, that's in Arizona, um, just north of Phoenix. And um, so this was kind of a, uh, a warm-up race for the, the Cocodona 250 that I think I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, it was when, you know, when races started opening up again, um, it was one of the first races. So, um, me, Kevin, and another friend, Tim, uh, decided to sign up, um, me and Tim were doing Cocodona. So we figured it takes place kind of where Cocodona starts. So we figured it'd be good kind of to scout the course. Um, so you, you basically drive North of Phoenix, um, to, I forget the city that starts in. It's a little city that you start by running a lap around their high school track. And then it takes the Black Canyon Trail um, all the way down um, to just north of Phoenix. And uh, it's kind of built as a downhill course. And it is a lot of downhill, but it's 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 very rocky and technical. Um, I think what Ke Kevin and Tim both uh, had, had some uh, wipeouts. Um, that's a, a good story if you want to tell that one, Kevin. Yeah, uh, I forgot about that because it finally doesn't hurt anymore. What are we... Uh, six over six months later. Um, I, I was about like I was about a marathon and just over a marathon. I was cruising, everything was going great, and um, I realized that I hadn't uh, I hadn't spoken to my wife that morning. Like no no good morning text, no hello, no hey I'm starting the race. You know no no contact, which is unlike me. And I was like oh I I feel bad about that. Let me take my phone out and. Uh, and see if I have service. And, uh, I took my phone out and just the second I, uh, I took my eyes off the trail. I, I ate it. Like I've never eaten it before on the trail. I went flying. Um, I was super dazed, kind of didn't really understand what had happened. My phone was shattered into like, you know, looks like uh, it got shot by a bullet. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm like, my legs are bleeding. My arms bleeding. I must've rolled cause it's like both sides of my body. Um, but I get up, I can move. Everything seems okay. I'm shaking it off. Um, I noticed that my wrist kind of really does hurt, but other than that, you know, I can move forward. No big deal. Um, turns out I, I did break the wrist. Um, and it has been hurting me for about six months now. I, I'd say it's probably about 95% now, but that's a recent development. It was, uh, it was operating, uh, far below that for a long time after, um, which is a shame. It really got in the way of my push-up routine. Just kidding. I don't have a push-up routine. <laughs> um, I'll focus on that lower body. So uh, it was quite a quite a tumble, and it, it definitely uh, made the remaining what thirty-five miles or so uh, a little more challenging. Were you on an uphill, a downhill, or or just pretty much flat? A slight downhill. It was. Uh, so that like that a, helps. Yeah. 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 And the phone destroyed totally destroyed, um, worked for the rest of the race. Like I was able to like, uh, communicate with, with Gabe and Tim. And, um, but then later that evening, it, 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 it crapped out entirely. Um, so I got, I got to get a nice new phone. There's the, the, the bright side. <laughs> it looked so, like someone smashed it with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. But you, as, as a uh, grinder pointed out earlier, you had your emergency bivy and your, your flashlight ready to go just in case you had to climb in there and couldn't continue. Yeah. I could have gotten real cozy inside a cactus and yeah, spent the night for sure. <laughs> Is that a thing? You just could open a big saguaro and uh, climb in there, keep warm, like like Luke Skywalker with the the big furry animal and 
uh, Empire Strikes Back. It sounds like it. That's probably how it works. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was going to be my pro tip to carry a lightsaber. But... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing a lightsaber can't fix. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on to uh, the Coca Donut. Tell us about the Coca Donut because I think it's, it's Jamil Corey's, right? Is that his race, his organization's race? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a brand brand new race, right? Yeah, it's a it's a brand new race. It mm-hmm. was an inaugural year. Um, it's built as the Cocodona 250, but it's actually 258 miles. And so it starts um, in Black Canyon City, where the Black Canyon 100K passes through, and it goes all the way to Flagstaff, uh, Arizona, the long hard way. <laughs> so you you start off. Um, it's, it's a, it's definitely a stout challenge. I would say out of the, you know, the two, 200 milers I've done, this was hands down the, the hardest one. Um, it started off with you, uh, where the runners go up, um, this mountain called uh, lane mountain, which was something like seven or 8,000 feet of, uh, elevation. It was hot. There's a long distance between aid stations and the, the race organizers had warned everyone to carry a lot of water. They said, carry at least three liters. And, uh, I, I had, um, I had four and four and a half liters, you know, thinking that would be plenty. And I ran out of water and I still had like 10 miles to go to the next aid station climbing this mountain. And so as you get like to the top of the mountain, um, they're just runners laying on the trail going, Hey man, you, you have any water? sorry dude i'm out too um so it was, it was probably the first 50k where would have been among like the top three hardest 50k i've ever done and then you think i still have over 200 miles to go um but that was the race where uh, kevin crewed me which was was amazing till they s- saved my race uh, because they kind of had some you know inaugural year um wrinkles they needed to iron out um so usually at 200s, like the aid stations will have like burritos, cheeseburgers and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and I guess they, you know, they were still dialing it in and um, they had a lot of food, but it was just not that calorie dense food. Um, and so the first time I saw Kevin, I'd gone through the night and I was about 70 miles into um, this place called Camp uh, Wamatochik. And the first thing I see him, I'm like, dude, do you have any food? I'm so hungry. Give me whatever food you have. He's like, what? I think I have a sandwich in my car. <laughs> it was a sandwich actually my wife gave him. And so I was like, I'll eat that. I'll eat that whole thing. <laughs> so we went to his car and I started eating the sandwich. It was like the best sandwich I ever ate. Um, and then it, the kind of the theme what Jimmy will try to set up is make it more like a European race where it goes through a lot. It connects a lot of towns um, in Arizona in, in Europe. Like here, ultra running is maybe a little obscure. In in Europe, like crowds will come out, like thousands of people to cheer on the ultra runners as they go through these towns. Um, and I think that was what that, that was kind of the atmosphere that he was trying to create. Um, we did get you definitely got some positive mojo from some of the towns. Some of them you're passing through at two in the morning, and so <laughs> no one cheering out there at two in the morning. It's more like a ghost town. But uh, when we got to Prescott, then. Kevin knew how hungry I was. So he was like, Hey, I saw a gas station down the road. I'm going to run down there and get you some burritos. <laughs> so he runs this gas station. He comes back like two breakfast burritos in hand. Yeah, to- those, uh, those totally saved my, my race. Um, but yeah, it definitely ended up being a very, very stout challenge. I don't think I ever had, you know, had as much doubt 
so early in a race that I would finish. Um, but then it, it, it ended up being a pretty, pretty epic race where, um, the, I said, you know, the, you know, pace whenever you want, Kevin, but you know, the, the, la the key is the last like 50 K where I want to, you know, I wanted someone just to push me. And so, um, we meet up at, uh, about 50, 50 K out, at, um, the aid station there is called Fort Tuttle right outside of Flagstaff. And first off there's Jim's Jim Walmsley is at the aid station. Uh, who for the listeners who don't know is pretty much like the Michael Jordan of ultra running. So he's there working at the aid station. I walk in, I'm like, Kevin, am I hallucinating or is that Jim Walmsley? And he's like, no, that's Jim Walmsley. <laughs> like, that's cool. So yeah, Jim totally helped us out, gave us like directions for the next section. Um, but we, we, this was like, um, going into sunset and then we went we went all through the night and we get to the second to last aid station and um then we just we took off running and so um i i pretty much told people don't tell me like where i'm at until the end and then we go out of this aid station and kevin goes you just jumped four spots in the aid station to the top 20 and so we're like well we gotta we gotta hold that so we took off running and then I think the other runners noticed that we took off. And so three runners came out um, chasing us from the aid station and they, they chased us all the way up uh, Mount Eldon, which is a 9,000 foot mountain that overlooks Flagstaff. And so it was pretty cool. It's like nighttime. Uh, Kevin's looking at the tracker and he can see that they're there. And so you feel this pressure, like it's, you know, 230 miles into a race and you're running and you're going up this mountain as fast as you can. And you look down and you see their headlamps. Um, so we, we get to the, we get to the aid station at the top and, um, since they had wave starts, for some reason, they put me in the last wave, which I never really figured out, but I figured that way everything was ahead of me on the course. So I knew I, I had more time on, on the other runners. And so, um, uh, one of them caught up to us at the aid station, uh, but I knew we had about 20 minutes on them. And so we took off before they did. Um, and we were able to, to get down the mountain, even though my feet hurt so bad, they'd swollen up, um, that I was, I was like, Hey, Kevin, I'm going to just take out my pocket knife and cut the toes of my shoes off. And he's like, no, don't, don't do that. That sounds like a really bad idea. We're, we're like, we're like four miles out into this too, like, and Gabe's like, he's so sleep deprived. He's like, I'm just going to take my pocket knife out and cut these shoes up. I'm like, no, we're not going to sit and cut your shoes out. Like just whatever you're dealing with, deal with it for another hour <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's definitely Kevin. Well, Kevin was there was it you saved me from spending time chopping up my shoes which probably would have been a good thing it turned out if I did I loosened them basically like so they were almost untied and then that uh once I got running that seemed to push some of the blood or whatever those are my feet out and uh yeah we ran all the way to the finish it was pretty amazing you run through Flagstaff and Kevin would run ahead to the intersection. He would like stop traffic, like runner coming through. And, and the locals, it's like seven in the morning. They're like, what, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> He's stopping traffic like it's an official of it. Runner coming through. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would like give him a thumbs up and wave, thank them. And then uh, we got to the finish and that was just, that was pretty amazing. You know, um, everyone was there at the finish. And so we, we ended up beating those three runners to the finish. Um, so pretty cool story. Like at the end of a 258 mile race, we are actually um, racing three other runners and we beat them. <laughs> so you finished top 20 in the inaugural Cocodona. Yeah, I finished uh, 19th. Um, so 
I think Jeff Garmeyer was there. I never met him because he was in an earlier wave, but he finished like two spots ahead of us. I think he was like 17th or something. Fantastic. Congratulations, Grinder. That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely the race I'm probably the most proudest of, but uh, no way I would have done that without uh, Kevin there feeding me breakfast burritos from gas stations and keeping me from cutting my shoes apart. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a pretty epic adventure. Yeah, Kevin, you sound like a real superhero out there. Were you wearing a cape while you're doing all this stuff? That was incredible. It was, I was going to wear the cape, but it was a little hot. Um, <laughs> so I left it in the car, but it was, it was, such, I mean, just hearing Gabe retell it was really fun. It was, I, I think I paced a little over 80 miles of the course um, and followed along pretty much the whole thing. Uh, it was, it was, it was really a cool adventure. Um, and uh, it was impressive to, to see what Gabe did out there. Uh, it was really tough conditions, really tough course. And uh, of course I went home and, and signed up immediately for the 2022 <laughs> edition. So nice. Nice. Now, Gabe, I'd be happy to crew and, and pace for you, but I, I only paced the last 50 yards, not the last 50 K. So nice. don't, don't get crazy on me. All right. And, and I have a couple questions about the, the Cocodon. How hot was it out there? Uh, it probably, the first day was probably the hottest or it felt like it just cause you're climbing this mountain. Um, it probably hit a hundred, um, but it's at, ele at elevation. So it felt pretty intense. So, uh, so it was a good kind of introduction to, to heat management. Um, so discovered some things that just through trial and error that worked really well in the heat um, that turned out to be super helpful in bad water. Mm -hmm. Now we have, we've talked about rim to rim to rim. We've talked about Black Canyon. We talked about Cocodona. All of these races take place in hot locales. I mean, are there any, are there any ultra marathons uh, like in Alaska that, you know, a little more temperate or cooler, cooler climates. I mean, this is an extra level of torture. It's, it would seem. There's uh there are definitely some, there's the arrowhead 135, which is the sister race of bad water. 135 that Gabe ran. Uh, it's in, I think, Northern Minnesota, Minnesota in like January or February. And every year someone loses some fingers from frostbite, that sort of thing. So, you know, it's just a different kind of torture. <laughs> One extreme to the, to the other. Yeah. yeah. And anytime you say that and you're talking about a race and you say, well, the first day was this much, but the second, I mean, th that's a long race. How, how long, how long did it take you? How many days to complete 258 miles? Uh, let's see. It took 97 hours and I, I slept about a total of three hours during those 97 hours. So started Monday morning and finished uh, Friday morning. So you slept three hours of the 97. Yeah. Yeah. All in about, uh, I think the longest I slept was I slept 45 minutes once. Um, and then usually it was a, about 10 to 15 minutes, uh, the, the trail dirt nap, which is um, mm -hmm. something I, I think I, I, I've really dialed in an important life skill. You're talking about skills that are transferable to the real world. This is, this is a really important skill that the trail dirt nap, mm -hmm. which is just go until you start stumbling and you're like falling asleep um, while you're running. And then uh, I always bring a bunch of caffeine pills. So I, I'll right before I lay down in the dirt, I take a 200 milligram caffeine pill. And then I just like face plant in the dirt. 
And like 15 minutes later, the caffeine is hitting you and you like literally like jump off the ground and just take off. <laughs> I'm envisioning it like a cartoon character it's pretty much, uh, that's in what action. It that, is, like. that is nuts. That is nuts. <laughs> it pretty much feels like that. <laughs> the power dirt nap is a, is a real life skill. I mean, yeah. you know, the <laughs> afternoon you're at work and you've got a 15 minute break. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Right there. The dirt. Yeah. <laughs> Or you're with your wife doing, you know, clothes shopping and she's trying out stuff, man, 15 minute dirt nap right there. You're good to go. (laughs) Important life skills we're working on here. Yes. Yes. Now you had the three guys chasing you at the end, which leads to my my question of, uh, is it better to, to be chased or to do the chasing? Which do you prefer? Um, I usually like to try to run people down at the end. Uh, that's kind of my, my strategy. That's why I've, that's why, you know, I've stuck with grinder is I grind it out. And so at the end I've slowed down less than, than everyone else have gotten conservative. And then I can, I can usually start running up the field. Um, so that was, that was kind of my first experience of having people try to chase me down and having to run hard because I knew they were behind me. <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty epic when we were climbing uh, Mount Eldon. I was so tired. I was falling asleep while we're running. And, uh, I was like, Kevin, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just falling asleep. He's like, he said something like, you're going to remember your place in this race for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh shit, I guess I better something up. <laughs> we went, we climbed up Mount Eldon. Uh, yeah, joke. It was like, you know, uh, Frodo and Samwise climbing Mount Doom. Uh, it was, it was pretty epic. <laughs> I just can't do it, Samwell. You <laughs> yeah. can do it, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, good times. Very good. And he saved you a pair of shoes. I mean, you didn't cut through your shoes. You, you didn't cross <laughs> that finish line with your toes sticking out of the, the front of your shoes. Yeah, uh, that would have looked pretty funny. <laughs> I already look like a homeless guy. Uh, yeah, we have actually a funny story from that where we, uh, we're going through, uh, Sedona and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like, I have like my puffy hanging off my backpack. Like I, I believe in a lot of gear. So I have it like hanging off of me. I look like I'm like a homeless person. And so we come through like these trails on Sedona and some hiker comes up to me, us and he goes, he's like, Hey, did you guys hear there's some ultra runners coming through here? And he, we're like, and Kevin's like, yeah, yeah, he's one of them. And the guy's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And my <laughs> joke was like, hey, homeless guy, did you hear some ultra runners are going to come through here? <laughs> it was really funny. It, it was, it, that's exactly how it happened. It's like, we're like, yeah, you're watching it right now. <laughs> you obviously did not match up with his expectation of what an ultra runner looked like at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Uh, I looked pretty. I looked like a homeless person. <laughs> did you guys all the Sedona? Did you guys listen to the "To Measure a Mile" episode with Chris Carter and his two buddies who who did the PCT or attempted the PCT, and they ended up under a bridge uh, out in the desert as part part of the desert section, and they were talking about that uh, they were there for a few days, kind of re- trying to recover. And a homeless guy came up and basically <laughs> spent the night with him under the under the bridge. And they were, they were telling the story like they were horrified that a homeless person. And I said, you guys probably didn't look that much that much different. I mean, the, the homeless guy probably was a little concerned about you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the homeless guys were like, these homeless guys are in rough shape. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do you think your, your three hours of sleep in the 97 total hours, that's helping you prepare for, for the Barkley? 
Uh, I think so. I mean, that definitely seems like you, you're going to maybe sleep like 10 to 15 minutes per lap. And so, um, yeah, I think that's key. I mean, that's why I think the 200 mile distance is my best distance because I can, I can go off of very little sleep and I slow down a lot less. I mean, I'm just, I'm not a, like a gifted athlete or, or anything. I mean, Kevin, you're talking to one of the best 200 mile runners in the world. I'm just a middle-aged guy who's, who's really stupid. <laughs> um, and, but that turns off, it pays off at a 200 mile where you could just be really stupid towards the end of the race and keep, keep grinding it out. Uh, if you've got Kevin whispering in your ear, don't cut off the ends of your shoes. You'll, you'll be just fine. So that's great. Just, just to be clear, I wasn't opposed to the method of cutting off the shoes. It was the timing. We were so close. Yeah, we were pretty close. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that you know the Barkley has many things, has many complications, many uh, different challenges, but I think dealing with those challenges in a state of sleep deprivation uh, is probably the biggest factor in why there are only fifteen finishers in in thirty plus years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see it out there. Kevin's probably got more stories than I do, but I remember just like a Coca towards the end, um, run into runners and they're just out of their mind. Like I, I remember this female runner I came up on and, um, it's like the middle of the night we're running into the stars and she's with her pacer and I'm alone. And I try like chatting and, um, she looks at me and she tries to talk and what comes out is like gibberish. And so she just turns to her pacer and she's like, you tell him <laughs> like she couldn't speak. And the pacer had to answer the questions for her. <laughs> That is hilarious. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear some more about uh, Crusher and Grinders adventures out uh, on these incredible long distance races and hikes. And uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned for that. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? 
Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. All right, welcome back. We're talking to Crusher and Grinder about some of the fun they've had out in the hot, the hot desert climate on these ultra marathons um, that take days to run and uh, just some incredible, incredible stories. I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, I'm training for a marathon, just a regular marathon. I feel, I feel, I feel wimpy just saying that, that I'm just training no. for a regular marathon after talking to you guys and you know, I go out on the longer runs on, on the weekends uh, as part of the training regimen. And I can't imagine uh, doing what you guys are doing out there. So that's just wild in my mind. Which uh, marathon are you training for? I'm going to change it up. I've done the LA marathon three times and we're going to do the rock and roll San Diego marathon. Oh, nice. Yeah. They'll be down in my neck of woods. Let me know when you're down here. I, I owe you a beer. <laughs> oh, sounds good. All right. I'm excited now. Can you pace me? <laughs> I, I don't know. I take that back. I don't want you to pace me. because gonna, gonna I, I will not allow you to cut the toes of your shoes off. So. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Hey, Crusher, what, what have you been up to? I, I understand you've, you've done some time in some, some national parks. Yeah, so I kind of used that uh, pacing adventure with uh, Gabe at Cocodona as my uh, final training block for the Bryce 100, uh, Bryce Canyon 100, which is in late May, um, all around the Bryce Canyon area, out in uh, southern Utah, really beautiful, running um, some pretty awesome trails around the hoodoos and all the rock formations down there. Um, it was a good race. Uh, it's kind of sneaky challenging. I had hoped to to finish in, uh, under 24 hours and I ended up at, uh, 27, just over 27 or something like that. Um, but it was still good for, I think 13th place overall. Um, and, uh, it was a, it was a sneaky challenging race with over a 50%, uh, did not finish rate. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really pretty course. I, I, I had a pretty epic fall. I, I guess this is the year I'm falling and kind of eating it on the trail cause I broke my pinky on that trail. Um, same, uh, same hand that the wrist was still giving me trouble for. So it's been a, it's been a year of minor injuries, thankfully, uh, nothing that stops me from moving, but, uh, yeah, that pinky is still broken right now. Um, because of course I, I didn't do anything smart to heal it. Um, <laughs> were you looking at your phone again? No, at least I had that. That was my wife's first question too. Um, <laughs> yeah. And at least I, I, this one was just, uh, just a freak accident kind of, you know, those branches come up and grab you. But, uh, and this one was like also like somewhere around 30 miles in. So then I had to run 70 miles with a ripped shirt and dirt on my face and a broken pinky. So people that saw me shortly thereafter were like, dude, what happened to you? I was like, Oh, it's fine. <laughs> just, just another race. It's all right. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that was like, yeah. he texted me a picture and it was like the half of his face is just covered in dirt, like covered. <laughs> yeah, I looked like two, like two face from Batman. It was like total, <laughs> total dirt coverage on one side and, and just a normal face on the other side. It was pretty funny. Now, have you guys ever, I thought this would be hilarious. Have you guys ever, during any of your trail runs, you come across people who are out maybe hiking or just doing normal outdoor activities, not the crazy stuff that you guys do. And you, you run by, you ever just yell, you know, bear as you, as you run by and, and uh, see what the reaction <laughs> doc, is. Doc, that's, that's really funny. You asked that question. Cause I have a story. That oh, is really great. Funny. So, all right. So I was, um, we went up to uh, state forest state park in Colorado two weeks ago. I was pacing and crewing my wife at a hundred K race. Um, it was Friday. Um, and I went out for a run, um, just a training run for myself at like in the evening at like 5 PM. Um, it was raining kind of really nasty out. And I didn't realize that the race also had a 60 K a really hard 60 K that was that day. And I found myself on the race course. Um, and I, I, I was kind of just exploring, didn't really know I was going. So I saw some people chatted with them. And then I got to a point where I turned around and I started heading back and, well, I think we're in like the last five miles of the race for these people. And I came upon these two ladies and I did just what you said. And they did not appreciate that. <laughs> they were really, really unhappy with me. I felt pretty bad. I apologize to them, um, but it did not go over well. What, what seemed like a harmless, um, funny thing in my head at the moment um, was not taken well by their tired, you know, delusional uh, state um but it's it's funny that you brought that up because that's that's exactly what happened and I, I probably won't do it again so you ran by you said bear and, and what was the reaction what did they do i remember and i was like oh there's a bear up there they're turning people around and then they were like they they were so upset that i i stopped i turned around and i was like oh i'm just i'm just kidding just kidding and they were like that's really not funny and i was like <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> oh <laughs> So if they are, if they happen to listen to this podcast, I really am sorry. I didn't mean to, to throw, throw you off the rails. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right. And uh, anything else about Bryce Canyon or we move on to, uh, you know, you mentioned the big secchi loop earlier. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Bryce Canyon, yeah, it was great. If you, they have distances for that race from uh 30 K, which, uh, is what like 18 miles all the way up to uh to the 100 miler and it's just so pretty out there so if you're ever looking for a fun challenge the the bryce canyon ultras are uh are awesome and then um kevin do you yeah. I, know, I know you you uh um grinder had said that you are one of the premier 200 milers out there do you have any any sponsorships <laughs> now i gotta live up to that gabe thanks um <laughs> Not officially. I mean, I, I work with some companies pretty closely and I work in the industry at training peaks. Um, mm -hmm. so I have some, some help here and there, but no official sponsorships. Got it. And have you ever thought about I mean, does training peaks, is that just a training organization or do they organize races as well? It's a training software platform. Um, okay. you're probably familiar with Strava. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it's like Strava, but less social and more analytical for like coaches and athletes. It's all business. Yeah. Enough of the Put social nonsense. This yeah. is, you know, yeah. get down to business, run your 200 miles and stop whining. Yeah, exactly. This is how we're going to do it. Right. Got it. <laughs> that's why, Got that's it. why you're one of the premier 200 milers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Any sure. sponsors are listening. Kevin's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a bear spray company that can sponsor you. There you yeah. You yeah. Do we'll your races. And, yeah. Bear, bear. Yeah. 
and carry them in both hands, double <laughs> dual wield the bear sprays. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, but yeah, you asked about Big Seki, which um, it was an awesome adventure. So uh, after Gabe and I were on the JMT last year, um, we were like, well, we got it. We got to get out for another fast biking adventure. What's next? Um, so um, Gabe got uh permits to hike the big Seki loop which is kind of like a big 150 ish mile loop that starts in king's canyon national park at road's end um and has about 60 to 70 miles that are concurrent with the john muir trail uh you enter um in leconte canyon depending on which direction you go but you enter in leconte canyon and then exit shortly after forester pass um onto the high sierra trail so um for those who have done the JMT, it's, it's very similar terrain, typical high Sierra, you know, beautiful trails. The, um, sections that are not on the JMT are more rugged, more overgrown, a little less, um, John Muir expressway, like in every sense, both the amount of people on the trail and the conditions of the trail. Um, so pros and cons, but it was an epic adventure. We, um, ended up doing a variation, um, where we kind of did like the Ray Lakes loop with uh, just made it bigger by going over Granite Pass and and linking up to the JMT and the Con Canyon and had some some pretty epic adventures. Gabe uh, unfortunately wasn't able to join us because of uh, the adventure he'll tell you about next, which is a, a, a acceptable excuse. I'll give it to him. Um, but so, uh, so, I was able to go so with- Gabe Gabe set it up and then didn't participate. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So I I went with my friend Finley and we had a, we had a great time. Uh, It wasn't the same without Gabe, but it was still quite an adventure. And uh, like I said, Gabe's got a pretty good reason. And then we need to go back and do the, the full loop. um, Yeah. Put in those GMT level days. I never asked a little less. The part I was always worried about when we were scouting it out is where you cross the Creek at Palisades. What was that like? It wasn't bad, um, maybe knee deep and short, oh, okay. like not, not, not a very wide crossing. The, the hard part was, and you, I think you mentioned this when you were researching was the, um, the trail was so overgrown, kind of like approaching Lacan Canyon. Um, I don't even know the name of the trail, but, um, Probably, it was, was it Bishop, over... Bishop Pass? No. Cause I think the Bishop Pass trail is on the East side and we were coming in from the West. Oh, okay um is it going it was the kern river is that yeah yeah so it's it's running along the kern river um and it was very overgrown to the point where it was it was difficult to follow there were several times where we'd have to um you know kind of consult our our gps and and see where we were at usually we were on the trail and just couldn't believe it because we were covered in in bushes and trees (laughs) and you know like pushing things out of our eyes and um there was a couple of miles of stretch like that that was really slow going but other than that it was uh just just awesome yeah time spent in the sierras is time well spent it's such a magic it, and it calls back to you right when you leave it you just can't wait to get back that's right and I, the the human mind is is remarkable in that it tends to forget all of the pain after a, a period of time and only remember the good stuff that's why that's why women have more than one child right so <laughs> that's right. Uh, you forget about all the uh, the injuries and the the bugs and whatever else, and you just remember those those beautiful sights and the the fantastic memories. So, 
All right, Gabe, I want to hear, uh, you know, what, what was the excuse? How did, why did you bail out of uh, the big secchi loop after organizing it? Uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty lame excuse. Um, so yeah, I, I got into the bad water 135. Uh, I wasn't really expecting to get in. Um, I kind of applied the last year and then applied again this year. And um, I kind of almost half forgotten that I had applied. And then uh, I was running a, a local 50K. So I turned my phone off on the day they announced who got in. And I get to the finish line. I turn my phone on and I get all these messages saying, congratulations, you're doing Badwater. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm doing Badwater. Oh, shit. I'm doing Badwater. <laughs> There's definitely like the excitement followed by the oh shit moment. Um, and so, yeah, it was Badwater was about a week after the big Seki loop. Um, that we planned. And I just didn't think there was any way I could be prepared for both. And so, you know, Badwater is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I, I figured I, I should take that. Um, and, yeah, and I was, when we, when we finished the, the Southern half of the John Muir trail, just a few days ago, I was in Whitney portal and walking to the, the, the store slash grill to get my big juicy burger at the end of that hike. And there was a guy and his wife walking by me the other direction. And he had on a, a Badwater participant uh, t-shirt. And I, I knew from my time in talking with you guys that that's a big deal. And so I talked to him just a little bit. Hey, I said, you ran the Badwater? And he's, and uh, he said, yes, yeah, he did. And his wife was like, and he ran it in the daytime, not, not the nighttime. He, he, he did it in the daytime. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, so I don't know if that was a, that's a, a status thing or not, but she was very adamant about that. But um, to, for those of our listeners out there who, who aren't sure what the bad water, bad water might be, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, bad water, it's billed as the world's toughest foot race. Um, and it starts from Badwater basin in death Valley, which is the lowest point in the continental U S at something like negative 282 feet below sea level. It's kind of cool when you're out there. They actually have a sign where sea level is up on the side of this hill. So you can see how far below sea level you are. Uh, the original way, race, the idea was go from the lowest point to the highest point in the contiguous U.S. It, it used to finish on the top of Mount Whitney, uh, but the Park Service uh, doesn't allow uh, competitive races on, on uh, a, a lot of the, the parks. So um, now it finishes at, at Whitney Portal, which still still pretty stout, you know, 8,000 something feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's in July. So it's a race in the hottest place on the planet, the hottest time of, of the year. Um, so yeah, that, that sounded like a, a really good idea. <laughs> it actually was, um, it was the one race that, uh, scared me a lot. Um, uh, cause I, I came from sort of a road running background, you had done marathons and Ironman triathlon and things like that, but I kind of tra transitioned over the the last few years to, you know, mountain running. And so now I consider myself more of a, a mountain goat. So I was like, well, first it's roads. And then my kryptonite is actually heat. All these hot races that I talk about doing, <laughs> I, I would, uh, until recently, I wouldn't have said I was very good at hot races. That was always the, I was going to have a bad race when it was hot. Um, and so this was kind of a, this was kind of a, a race I wanted to do to pretty much test my my fears. <laughs> I would honestly feel I was less afraid of doing Cocodona than I was of doing Badwater. And so did it live up to the hype? Uh, it is definitely a very, very tough race. So I can, I can kind of walk you through, um, walk you through the race. Um, and you can kind of, kind of judge for yourself. And there is also a good, uh, John Muir, 
John freaking mirror podcast story. In, oh, in here. nice. <laughs> so yeah, the, the start and what, what, uh, what the, the previous finisher was referencing is it used to start in the daytime at Battlewater basin, but at some point the park service said, Hey, look, someone's going to die. Cause it, that's, that is literally the hottest place on the earth. And uh, to get the race continuing, the race director, Chris Kosman had to agree to a night start. Um, so it starts in three waves at night. The first wave, so the way he described it is there are three waves. There's the fast runners, there's the faster runners, and there's the fastest runners. Um, it's an invitation race only. Uh, so to even apply, you have to have completed um, at least three 100 milers and usually not just any three 100 milers. They encourage you to have done the most difficult uh, 100 milers. And as we established earlier, I'm kind of stupid. So I've done really hard races. Um, but yeah, so most of my results, you know, Cocodona was definitely one of the highlights. Moab 240 was a highlight, but most of my races were, were the results are nothing special, but you know, I, I, I made it to the finish. Um, so I was, I was pretty surprised to get an invitation. And then, uh, I was surprised to be in, in the, the faster wave, the, the middle wave. Um, and so my start was at nine 30. And so you have to, you basically, the format is you have a crew in a, in a van who follows you the entire race. There are no aid stations. Um, so I got three ultra runner, uh, uh, four ultra runner buddies. It was initially three and we got a fourth at the last minute. Uh, to volunteer uh, to crew me, and so the joke with Badwater is crewing is is harder <laughs> than running Badwater, and there might be s- some truth to that. Um, but I had like I had the most amazing crew. Um, three of them were guys uh, that two I we had trained with for Cocodona, and one I met at Cocodona, and another was just a really great ultra runner who brought a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And so my wife was like how the heck did you get four people to volunteer to drive in a van for like two days? And I was like, Oh, they, they love this. This is like Disneyland for ultra runners. They were so, they were super excited to be there. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of the format. Then um, the, the race start was at nine 30 at night. And as we're driving to the race, start to Badwater basin, hang on grinder, hang on. So I'm, I'm picturing this van just following you like you know 10 feet behind you the whole time that's not how it works though is it no no they can't follow you behind so they leapfrog you so usually that would be a very crowded race uh race path all these all these vehicles and these runners <laughs> uh, i think they used to do that old school back when they had the day start like they'd have like a sometimes they have vehicles like drive alongside and just like hosing them down with cold water uh, but now the rules are they they can't do that they leapfrog you so uh, my crew would stop about every two miles. Um, if I was hurting, I'd say stop in a mile, um, but usually about every two miles. So that means, you know, they did what, 70 stops probably. Uh, and it was like a NASCAR um, pit crew stop after, after the first couple of times, like I, I was in and out of there in like 30, 30 seconds. Those guys were, were amazing. Um, no way I could have done that without them. I, I didn't contemplate cutting the toes of my shoes off at Badwater. So <laughs> if Ke- I, I, luckily if I had, I probably would have just, they would have probably just let me do it because Kevin wasn't there. <laughs> um, yeah, like I can walk you through kind of the race course to, sure. because it is, um, it was tough in, in ways that I didn't expect it to be tough. Um, it started at 930. So we're, we're driving to the start and the first wave started at eight. 
So as we driving up, we drive through a sandstorm, like can't see anything, um, just howling wind. And uh, I'd heard this, is, this referred to in some of the accounts as the dragon's breath. It's like this really hot wind. Um, talking to some of the veterans, they had never had a sandstorm before. So this is kind of a first. So we got through the sandstorm to the start and the start was pretty calm. But then in my head, I'm like, we're going to run back to that sandstorm, which we did. Um, so we get out of the van and it's our, it's like 104 degrees at night, which is hard. It's something you can't train for. Like, where can you go where it's 104 degrees at night? Um, and so my strategy was, uh, you know, I had really dialed in my heat protocol from doing races like Cocodona. And then uh, uh, prior to that, there's a desert uh, in San Diego, East County called the Anzabrigo Desert. Really cool spot. Uh, almost as hot as bat water. So I would go out there and just spend a day <laughs> running through the desert. Um, occasionally with, uh, with, uh, uh, the, my crew chief's name was Gabe, which who I, who I referred to as the other Gabe. <laughs> um, he would come out there and kind of practice crew chiefing where the key is really like a lot of ice. Um, so I had, I bought two giant Yeti coolers where we could carry, uh, about 150 pounds of ice. And we kept those loaded because every two miles they were loading me down with ice. Um, and that was the key thing at those NASCAR pit stops was reload the ice. And, uh, so I, we get there, I'm like, let's start the heat protocol right at the beginning. It's, it's night. And I see the other runners and they're not really doing that because it's night. And I think everyone's going, Oh, it's night. It's right. not that hot, like, but it's 104. So we start, I'm like dripping water on the boardwalk and we take off. Um, and my strategy is I was going to be grinder. I was going to be super conservative. Everyone else takes off running. And by a few miles, I'm like at the back of the pack of my wave, like everyone's gone, um, which was kind of a surprise. I thought some runners would do that. I didn't think like the whole wave would do that. Uh, so we're running like into a sandstorm. Uh, luckily, I had brought like, clear glasses so I could see. Um, some, uh, Badwater veteran had recommended as a tip, like have clear glasses at night, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if I would have been able to see without those. The wind was so loud as like I'd come upon other runners and we tried to talk to each other. I couldn't hear what they were saying unless they like shouted at me <laughs> and I shouted back at them. It was, it was pretty, it, and so this is dark. There are a bunch of cars. It's really disorienting. Um, so the first maybe 15 miles were just, were really crazy. Um, but my crew was amazing. They were there every two, mi two miles. Um, I got these little traffic light wands, so they would wave them because you couldn't tell whose crew was who. It's just like a bunch of lights. I'm like, I had seen videos and I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. I, I won't be able to even find my crew. And so they would stand on the side of the road waving the traffic light and Smart. Then <laughs> uh, from like a half a mile out. And NASCAR pit stop, I would, as I was running up, um, one, of the, one of the crew, Jose, would come up run up behind me and I had uh, this pack that carried bike bottles. So they're easy to take out. He would take the old bike bottles out and put two new ones in. And then the other Gabe would load me up with ice. And we just did that. Um, we did that all night. Um, but it that first night was really rough because I, my whole, my whole plan pretty much went out the window that first night. I was like, Oh, the first night I'm going to load up on calories by eating a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, all the sports drink that, I use that usually works amazing. Like I was like, guys, this isn't working. 
uh, switch to a different sports drink. And then that would work for a while. And then I'm like, switch to a different sports drink. Um, I could not, I could not eat solid food pretty much from the beginning. So I was like, guys, I can't eat. We got to find a way to get calories in me. So they're pulling like everything they can out of the, the crew van. Um, I could take gels, but only if they were ice cold. So they would stick them in the Yeti cooler. So they were almost like frozen. And then I would take the gel. <laughs> um, and, uh, so it was kind of crazy, but the story about the John Muir, uh, pod was, um, so sunrise that first day, the first 40 miles are pretty flat and uh, you're coming into this town called Stovepipe Wells. And that was probably where I felt my lowest, like, uh, man, I, you know, like maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I shouldn't be here. What am I doing this for? And then I, I was listening to podcasts throughout the night and I was listening to one of yours. And then all of a sudden that you stopped and you're like, Hey, shout out to Gabe Peterson. Who's running the Badwater 135. Um, as a fundraiser for his daughter Sky, and I was like, "Hey, that's me." <laughs> um, so it kind of, it actually, it was very timely because it was like right at my low point, where I was like, "What am I doing? Why am I doing this?" And then it reminded me why why I was doing this. So I had done um, my my oldest daughter has a type one diabetes, and uh, since she was diagnosed in 2019, every year I dedicate one race as a fun fundraiser for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh, GDRF and uh, you did your, your, your plug for yeah, help give out donate. And so it snapped me back. I was like, this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for sky. All those people had donated. We'd raised over $7,000. All those people donated. They didn't donate for me to quit. So there will be no quitting. <laughs> so at that point, I, I just was like, I was like, all right, Badwater, do your worst. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, and it did, it did do its worst. <laughs> So you, you get into stovepipe wells, and then we picked up two more crew members, um, Alex and John, um, who were amazing. So they were like, you know, we had them stay there and sleep so that they would come in fresh. And I'd ever, I'd never actually met John in person. We just interacted, a mutual friend introduced us over social media. And when I was doing bad water, he said, I'd love to help. And so the first time he meets me, I come in there, I'm like, Hey, I need some sunscreen. And so he grabs sunscreen and just starts like lubing me up, like rubbing me down. He's like, Hey, it's good to meet you. Rubbing you down with sunscreen. <laughs> like, thanks, man. Um, but then you climb over, uh, the first big climb is town pass, which is about 17 miles long with 5,000 feet of vertical. And it's just, it's total grinder time. It's like a 5% grade, um, just grinding up and it's getting really, really hot. Um, and that was probably my, you know, my lowest point is um, when getting towards the top of that uh, that pass, I was really hurting, and we were playing music to try to stay motivated. And that song, like "100 Bad Days," le- leads to 100 good stories, came on, and I'm like, that song was written for this very moment. <laughs> this is one of those bad days. It's going to be a great story later on. Um, but yeah, we got it. Got the heat just it just slowly grinds you down. So the 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 thing that saved me was I was like, guys, I can't take any of the food that we have anymore. Like it all tastes disgusting. Like they would give me something. And if my body didn't want it, I would just like gag and I spit it out. Like it was involuntary. I couldn't control it. And so I said, I need chocolate milk. And they're like, really? You want chocolate milk? Because this is what Kevin had brought to me at Cocodona when I was starving. He would bring me like things of chocolate milk. I was like, yeah, I need a lot of calories. I need protein. I need fat. And they're like, okay. I'm like, at the next store, 
buy all the chocolate milk that they have. <laughs> and so they did. And I get there and I like chug all this chocolate milk. And they're like, I think they were expecting me to just puke it out. But I was like, no, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, chocolate milk for the win. And then we got to Lone Pine. Um, it was uh, milkshakes at the McDonald's. I was like, go buy me like four McDonald's milkshakes. And I, I just, I had like a milkshake in my hand for the rest of the, the race, just uh, taking in the calories. That's the same way I hike is with a milkshake in a hand. That's perfect. It's per- yeah. It, it's a, I wish everyone was like that. Yeah, so it, was, it ended up uh, not being a bad race. I mean, it was pretty, that, I mean, it was very horrible. I don't think I've ever felt as miserable for 24 hours straight. You know, I felt miserable like that for a few hours, but for 24 hours straight for like the first hundred miles, I felt like I wanted to pretty much die. <laughs> um, and then it kind of cooled off. And, um, and finally, like I took one of those dirt naps and this is, this is really, it's about four in the morning on the second night, I take a dirt nap and I said 10 minutes, but my crew gave me 20 minutes. Cause they saw how tired I was. They were like, you just passed out and you didn't even move. Like you're like a dead person. And then I got up and they handed me this recovery drink that I had and I slammed it down. And all of a sudden I felt great. And, um, and my strategy had been, I'm not going to race until hundred miles. And so they, I think they tell, they got, I got up and they're like, we're at hundred miles. You're like in a 46th position or something like that. And my crew chief gave points. He's like, see all those cars there. He's like, you should go run those cars down. <laughs> and so we did, we took off and uh, we ended up, I uh, didn't get a top 20 finish, but I ended up moving up from like 46 or whatever I was to 38. Um, and I, and passed a whole, whole bunch of runners towards the end. Um, it was amazing. We get to Lone Pine, you know, my, my family's there, my daughters, uh, it was pretty funny. So I run up and I smell like a homeless corpse. Yeah. I go to give my daughters a hug and they're like, Whoa, no way, daddy, you need to take a shower. So all these people are laughing. Like I'm trying to hug the girls and they're like, no, get away from me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was pretty, we did, then you finish, you basically hike up that road to uh, Whitney portal. And I knew at that point, like hiking up a road, hiking's my jam. Like no one's going to beat me in this race in a, in a hike. Um, and that's they really want it. So um, we, we powered up there and finished right at Whitney Portal. It's the finish line's right by that restaurant. Um, it's a, uh, it was pretty amazing. My daughters were there. And um, so it was like, this, this, is why, this is why I put myself through this is um, hopefully what I did is like in some small way helps, helps the world, you know, help, helps us get to a world where there's no diabetes. And if me just doing these crazy, stupid events can somehow make the world a better place, then I'm happy to do it. That's fantastic, Gabe. That's, uh, that's incredible. Congratulations. Uh, entering and uh, being accepted into the Badwater 135, uh, racing and finishing top 40. Um, just absolutely great stuff. And I wasn't driving the van. I wasn't handing you gels or buying you milkshakes, but I I'm happy that, that in some small way I played a, a, a part in, in helping you do that. So yeah, you're, you're out there on that course right when I hit that low point that, I mean, just what are the odds of that? That was what was playing right at that time. The universe was in sync at that moment. Very good. All right. And Kevin, did you say that you, you've applied to the bad water? You applied to Coca-Dona. No. I'm, I'm in, I'm in for Coca-Dona. I'll sign yeah. up for that. I have never applied to Badwater. And if you asked me, you know, three weeks ago, I would have told you that I have an absolutely zero interest in that race. <laughs> um, but I'd be lying if I said, 
that I didn't read the entire website after Gabe finished. Um, <laughs> and that I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's a possibility now. We'll see. I mean, the way Gabe describes it, it sounds so appealing. I mean, who Doesn't wouldn't it sound want, fun? Who Ooh, wouldn't yeah. want to enter that? Uh, yep. Yeah, that might be type four fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know what I, you have to mention that to coworkers. Like, hey, I'm going to be off next week. What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing a little race. And then they would keep asking. And eventually, like, you'd reveal, like, one detail after, oh, where is that? It's in Death Valley. Like, isn't it hot in Death Valley? And so you've been to like, I'll just explain the whole thing. And that look, um, yeah, it's, it's the only race where I've had people say, well, don't die. <laughs> <laughs> people were seriously where I was going to die. Like, I, I don't, this is probably not the riskiest race I've been. I've got these guys in a van where something goes wrong. They throw me in the van and they take me to the nearest hospital. Um, so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That's incredible. Uh, Crusher, you got uh, something coming up in August? Yeah, something coming up. What is it? Uh, Monday? Something coming up this Friday. So it's Monday the oh, 9th th now. That's right. We're, we're in August, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm uh, yeah racing the Bigfoot Badwater 200 on uh, Friday the 13th. I, I, I added Badwater because... Um, while the typical highs for, for this area that the race is in, um, are usually in the high seventies, the forecasted high for the start of the race is 104 right now. And where does this take place? Where, where's the Bigfoot 200? It starts in, uh, Mount St. Helens area in Washington, um, kind of semi circumnavigates the Mount St. Helens blast zone, um, where the volcano erupted about 40 or so years ago, and it meanders its way. Um, north to kind of the south side of Mount Rainier. So it's 210 miles this year uh, with about 46, 47,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Okay. Best of luck. The state of Washington isn't on fire right now, is it? Not like other states. Um, that's for sure. The air quality up there is, is very good right now. So okay. um, well, unlike uh, we can't see the mountains, which in here in Colorado, and they're only a few miles away. So yeah, there's a huge fire burning up in Northern California too, that um, even though it's in Northern California, when I came down from Whitney portal uh, or came down to Whitney portal on Friday, you couldn't see the Owens Valley. It was just completely filled with smoke, even though the fire was hundreds of miles away. So it's, it's crazy right. out there. Well, best of luck to you, crusher. You go out there and crush it. Thanks. I'm, I'm going to try to take more of a grinder approach with that heat. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Hey, I've got a, an interesting, I think this is the first time I've ever done a top five list like this, but we have talked about uh, these long races out in the heat and taking days on end and sleeping just, you know, three hours out of, out of 97. So I'm going to go with uh, our top five list for this episode. What are your top five hallucinations that you've had while you've been sleep deprived on some of these races? You think you guys can, could fill out that list for me? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with my my top one just because it was so weird. Was uh when it, my the first hundred that I finished the Bear One Hundred, which is up in northern Utah, I guess from Logan, Utah to Bear Lake. A uh, really tough race, so lots of vertical mountains, um, and I'd gotten in on two weeks' notice, so just like kind of winging it. And uh, first time I'd really run all night. 
and uh, just suffering. And uh, as I'm going through the mountains, there are all these trees and where my light was shining ahead. If you were ever a Twin Peaks fan and you remember the dancing dwarf in the red room, um, I saw the dancing dwarf in the trees. He was dancing around and then I started hearing the Twin, Twin Peaks music. <laughs> That's spooky. That is very was, spooky. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I was, I was, yeah, it was pretty freaky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Crusher? Um, I don't have any really, really crazy hallucination stories. Um, I've certainly pushed the limits of sleep. I've done, I've done 80 hours with, you know, 90 minutes of sleep or less, even closer to an hour. But um, so far, nothing too crazy. I mean, you definitely see kind of like big picture things that aren't there, like a, a forest of, you know, stumps and, and full grown trees will look like a, you know, like a shopping center or a strip mall, um, you know, stuff like that, where you, you start to see the outlines of things and you're like, oh, I, that's weird that there's a, you know, there's some stores there in the middle of the forest. Um, <laughs> and then I've always been able to quickly be like, oh no, those are just trees and I'm just exhausted, but I haven't had any like full blown hallucinations yet, but with the, uh, with the heat and the amount I'm planning to not sleep uh, this weekend, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll get something good and I'll, I'll report back. Okay, perfect, perfect. Grinder, any others? Or are we going to stay at just the top two here? Yeah, I'd say the one other was I don't know if this is a hallucination, but that story I was telling about where you know we were climbing uh, Mount Elden, you know, like Frodo and Samwise got Mount Doom. Uh, I totally had an out of body experience, like. I was not in my body. I was floating above my body and I watched myself climb that whole mountain. And the crazy thing is it was effortless. Like it required no effort from my body. It was, it was pretty weird. That's the way to do it. If you could, if you could harness that skill, I mean, yeah, that, I could that could be that. next level. Maybe that's like astral projection or something. Right. <laughs> nice. yeah, I will. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll vouch for that story. Gabe was, uh, in another world when we were going up Mount Eldon. <laughs> I need to do that for some of my work meetings. That would be great. Just watching from above. Yeah. Was, Just take yeah. some drugs. It's, it's way easier. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to wait until like 240 miles under a race. <laughs> hey guys, you know where we are? No, where are we? We're at that time of the episode where I turn to you and ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What, what nugget of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? So who, who wants to go first of the duo here? I've, I've got a good one. Um, okay. It's kind of a, just a simple little, little like product hack I used um, this time when I was out in the Sierras that I didn't have on my previous backpacking, fast packing excursions. Um, Z packs makes them, but I got mine on Etsy by just searching, uh, like front of backpack water bottle holder. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those, like, like they basically strap onto the front straps of your backpack and they hold like a smart water bottle. Um, so they kind of offset the water weight in your pack, put them on the straps up front and off your back. Um, they make them way more accessible. So I found I drank a lot more. Um, was able to filter on the go and and just took in a lot more fluid having those up front on my on my chest straps. So I think they were ten bucks a piece, and it was just uh re it just made such a difference. Um, so that's my pro tip to kind of like a change the game for me. Pretty smart and acts as acts as a counterbalance. So that's uh, if you get yeah. a pack on the back. So that's great. <laughs> that's great. All right, Grinder, how about you? Uh, yeah, my my pro tip that definitely talked about doing all those hot races. 
And uh, one of the things that really worked out for me was um, the ultralight umbrella to for sun production. Um, and so I kind of got this idea from the fast pack, you know, I'd see all the fast packers out there with the umbrella and I'm like, all right, if they're out there backpacking and they're carrying this umbrella, it has to be really useful because they're not carrying an ounce that's not useful. And so when I saw Cocodono was going to be super hot, I was like, well, maybe I'll get one of those and um, see if it, yeah, maybe I'll use it. I still wasn't convinced. I was like, you know, the Fred factor that I'm running through an ultra carrying an umbrella. Um, I was like, I, I don't know if I can get over that. But once we got out of Cocodona and it was just like that sun was just so punishing and, and the Arizona sun at altitude, I was like, Kevin, just bring me the umbrella. <laughs> and it was amazing. Like we went through the next day, it was super hot. And um, I was like in my own little oasis. So that was, that was great for Cocodona. And then I used that at Badwater as well, like in the hottest parts. I'm, I'm like out there carrying this umbrella, like Mary Poppins. Um, I didn't care how it looked because it's kept me from puking my guts out of that water. So I'll take it. <laughs> but I think fast packers is great. You're out there like climbing these high altitude passes where I would just feel like my brain was getting microwaved um, by the sun is they're like Z packs makes a nice like six ounce umbrella, super light um, and sturdy. And it provides a place for you to sit when you're out of your body. There you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This is uh, just about the end of the episode. What a way to kick off season three, guys. Thank you so much for coming back and talking with me. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Grinder and Crusher. I want to thank them for joining us. Uh, guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, I'm on Instagram um, at ultraflykev. Um, ultra fly which, that's right yeah it's uh <laughs> ultra for ultra running fly for fly fishing oh. and, and oh i thought it was because you're so it, cool <laughs> it, partially because of that yeah. too sure okay um yeah ultra fly kev and then my my name is uh where you can find me on facebook if you got any questions about races or stupid stuff that gabe and i have done we're we're happy to help you make the same mistakes we did <laughs> very good grinder uh yeah so i i have an instagram account i don't use it a whole lot but it's gabe dot peterson dot three one four um and then also on, on facebook you know since i'm old i use facebook rather than instagram all right and remember to check out the pod on social media as well we are also on facebook because i'm also an old guy youtube <laughs> instagram twitter and you know what i'm i've taken to tiktok we have some tiktok videos out there of the uh, the john freaking your pod and if you have comments or clips you want to share you can send it to me at john at gmail.com Guys, I'm also looking to you to share your recommendation for some kind of adventure media, a book, movie, documentary, uh, et cetera, that's going to keep our listeners connected to the outdoor adventure experience. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Yeah, I've, been, I've enjoyed this segment on the ones I've listened to. I've gotten some, some good tidbits and, and added some stuff to my list. Um, one of my favorite books, it's not my recommendation because you had the author on your podcast. Um, but the last season has is, is been one of my favorite books for a long time. Kind of, I read that in like 2014 and it sparked my first, uh, John Muir trail adventure. Um, but I'll make my official recommendation. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is, uh, in the kingdom of ice by Hampton sides. Um, super fascinating, um, book about one of the first, uh, Arctic exploration trips, um, it reads like it reads like fiction, but it is very much nonfiction. 
Um, and actually, um, I won't elaborate on it because you'll have to go read it, but John Muir makes an appearance, surprisingly, in a uh, Arctic exploration tale. So, Okay, I'm intrigued. Let's check that one yeah. out. <laughs> and Grinder. Uh, well, so getting ready for, for Badwater, um, I pretty much watched like every piece of media about um, Badwater. Um, so if, if, if listeners are interested in learning more about it, um, one I'd recommend, it's kind of old, it's from um, about 20 years ago, but it still, still gives you a good taste. It's called uh, Running Across the Sun. It was a documentary that they made, um, I think in 2000. Um, so some of this stuff is a, is a little dated, but actually when I look at it and they're out there running with like a fanny pack and a bottle of Gatorade in their hand, uh, that's pretty gangster <laughs> compared to, I had Yeti coolers full of ice and guys dumping ice on me every two miles, like fanny pack and a bottle of Gatorade and they're just out there getting it done. Uh, but that'll give you, that gives you a really good taste. And then if you want to read more, like if you're considering doing it, a uh, book that was really good to me is a book called uh, uh, Into the Furnace uh, by Corey Reese, where he gives a very detailed account of um, his, his experience running the race. And he's, he's, he's done a lot of uh, ultra marathons, but he, you know, he describes himself as a, a, a back of the packer. Um, and so it's just the, the level of detail. I actually listened to that book a couple of times, like, cause he went into so much detail about the race. It was really good preparation, but it's a, it's a good read because he gives you the whole history from like the pioneers crossing Death Valley and, and how they got stranded there. Um, and so how it got its appropriate name. <laughs> um, so if you're interested in bad water, I would check those out. Wow. And once again, grinder making the race sound so appealing with uh, running across the sun and into the furnace. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely got to be like <laughs> type three fun. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Hey, before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? Do we miss anything in our, in our conversation here? Huh? Um, well, I guess what, what's next. I don't know if you were going to ask us about that. Okay. Yeah. What's next. Uh, so yeah, next, uh, if Kevin survives Bigfoot, which I'm sure he will, um, we're doing the, we're going to fast pack the Wonderland trail next month. Nice. Nice. That goes around uh, Mount Rainier. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 93 miles. I, I, I haven't done it before. I think uh, Kevin's done it. Yeah. Grinder, how many days did your wife give you this time? <laughs> well, right now we have a pass to do it in two days. <laughs> um, but we have another buddy who um, is probably less keen to do um, 93 miles in two days. So we're going to see if we can get a, a, a permit to do it in three days. You know, a leisurely yeah. pace, just a 50K a day. Yeah, or or, I, or you could pick him up on the on the third lap maybe that's right <laughs> yeah all right yeah anything else kevin i think that's uh that's all i got okay I'm sure there'll be more all right fantastic that's a wrap from the john freaking mirror studio any shout outs to friends and family you want to go um, first kevin sure why not um i'll thank my my wife melanie for letting me do this crazy crap Smart man. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah, that's right. I think a, a tip from Kara, Kevin. Um, yeah, definitely my, my wife, Moon, um, who puts up with me in these crazy adventures. Um, they, she came out with the kids to the finish for Badwater. And I know, I know being at the finish line of a race is not 
that glamorous. Just it's a lot of waving around. Uh, but it's always the best sight of every race is uh, running to the finish and seeing her and my girls. Fantastic. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're out of your body watching from above as you suffer <laughs> through the Pocadona with three guys chasing you and Kevin telling you not to cut off the front of your shoes. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. <laughs>